phone is a, a doctor who is quoted in one of these articles that caught my eye. Dr. Joanne Cacciatore is with us. And Joanne, how are you today? Oh, hi there. Very nice to be with you, Lisa. And give us all your credentials. <laughs> well, I'm an associate research professor at Arizona State University, and I am the director of the Graduate Certificate in Trauma and Bereavement Program there. And you I'm were... Also the oh, fa- go oh, ahead. Sorry. No, I know it's long. Keep going. <laughs> I have a lot of credentials. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm, also the, I'm also the founder of an international nonprofit group called the Miss Foundation and the Sella Care Farm, and um, probably the best credential I have to be speaking on this issue is that I lost a daughter back in 1994. Mm. Yeah, I lost my mom this year, and she always tried to teach me about grief because when you live to 93 like she did, you have to say goodbye to so many people. And the reason I got Dr. Cacciatore on the phone is because I read this article called How Long Should It Take to Grieve? Psychiatry has come up with an answer, and I'm intrigued by this because now it's a new diagnosis. It's called prolonged grief disorder. And is this new diagnosis because drug companies want to sell us a drug to fix the problem? Well, uh, (laughs) there's certainly some questionable intent. Uh, They're currently studying an addiction drug uh, because the scholars, the researchers in the study feel that it's the same reward pathway so that the bereaved person is basically uh, activating the same reward pathway as a craving for an addictive substance would, and naltrexone is known as an addiction drug. Um, I'm not in love with this, as you can imagine, as a bereaved mother, as a scholar, and as an advocate for grieving people. I've been doing this work for more than a quarter of a century, and I think we're treading in dangerous territory right now. I uh, got a call because uh, my mom's passing was a year ago last week, and hospice called, and she said a few things that stuck with me. Number one, she, she said, we all have a lost story, everyone. And she said, it's a common human thread. We all lose people that we love, and it is true. So is there a period in which you should grieve and then things should start to get better? Because it doesn't always get better for some people, right? Well, uh, as a matter of fact, you know, some, some research that's related to this is quite important and quite telling. Um, the first is um, out of the Netherlands, Belen and colleagues in 2016 ran a study, and they controlled for all your traditional risk variables. And one of the things that they found was only an individual's negative cognitions, negative thoughts and feelings about their own grief predicted class membership to prolonged grief disorder, which is interesting because Vanessa Juice, the year earlier, another scholar, found that, um, that social constraints predicted poor psychological and physical health outcomes in the bereaved. So what that tells me is that our social interactions with others often predict how we fare in bereavement. So in other words, when others exacerbate our loneliness, tell us something, we're doing something wrong, don't remember our loved ones with us, uh, avoid us in grocery stores, which is quite common with bereaved parents. You know, I, I did a research study in Sandy Hook. Um, after the school shootings, and I met with um, 16 individuals, um, 15 of whom their first graders were shot and murdered that day. I don't even know how you survived that. I really don't know how you survived that. 
Well, I mean, yes. You do. Which is is my point about this. Who who expects these people? So let me just tell you what the criteria are. The criteria are laid out for prolonged grief disorder. Persistent yearning for the one who died. How does a parent not yearn for his or her child after a year? I mean, I don't. I think that's an unrealistic expectation. Um, Intense emotional pain. I mean, the whole world has intense and emotional pain about Sandy Hook even now. Um, Life feels meaningless. The future feels bleak and empty. A loss of identity, feeling as if part of oneself has died. I mean, you know, the reality is that we are unfairly targeting a subset of grievers who have experienced really catastrophic loss. I'm not talking about people who are sad that Prince died and they didn't, they're not related to Prince and never knew him. Right. Right. I'm talking about people, real life people who have suffered absolute utter catastrophe and there are many and they are going to be unfairly targeted for this particular quote mental illness i don't see this as a mental illness someone being able to go into a school and kill 20 plus people that's a mental illness right so what they're doing now is they're saying that this kind of grief is a mental illness it will be identified as such and it's called prolonged grief disorder and everything you mentioned if i lost my child you have i would think all of that applies and it doesn't mean that this is i mean i don't know you're the doctor what does it mean because <laughs> i immediately want to well, go that i don't, I don't think that it means that it's patho- that you're pathological i think it means you're quite normal and in fact colleagues and i did a study back in 2014 that we published called the tear study traumatic experiences and resiliency study and one of the things that we found was that parents whose children died had elevated quote symptoms that would reach the threshold for many of the, quote, psychological disorders, um, that the the preponderance of parents had those experiences for 4.32 years after the loss. Now, if the majority of people are feeling that way, and it was a nice, robust sample, if the majority of people are feeling that way, then maybe our expectations of of them are what is abnormal rather than what they're experiencing. That is so true. Um, You've got to come back on and talk about this. I just got a text from 708 and said, so if I visit my mom twice a year at the cemetery and I sing for her, does that mean I'm still grieving? No, I think you're you're paying honor and remembering her. So, Dr. Cacciatore, you promised to come back on Chicago's Afternoon News and we've got some more time and we can continue to talk about this? Certainly I will, yes, of course. And you think the woman who's singing at the cemetery, that's that's appropriate, right? I think it's beautiful. I think that we have to remember our dead. You know, back in the, the wise ancient traditions, native traditions, indigenous traditions knew that we had to be marked by the death of someone we loved. They danced together. They, they chanted together. They burned, they burned things down together. They marked their bodies. They held each other in whales together. We don't do that anymore. This is a sick society and, and, and we have to change our society to be more compassionate and more responsive to people who are suffering catastrophic loss. Uh, and if we don't, then, then we just continue to be sick and we continue to promulgate the, quote, noble lie of mental disorder when someone we love dies. It's not true. Thank you so much for joining us. That is Dr. Cacciatore. I promise she will, she'll join us again on Chicago's Afternoon News. But if you want to see the article, it's how long should it take to grieve? Psychiatry has come up with an answer. It's in the New York Times.